Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 5? And we have come to verse 30, and we will read through the text here today and look at it, study it with one another, and this will complete the public discourse Christ gave in response to the persecution of the Jews. This is one of his discourses about that. This whole thing started with Christ healing the man on the Sabbath. Christ in beginning his discourse referenced God as his father. The Jews now had two charges against him here. Number one, he was healing on the Sabbath. And number two, he made himself equal to God by calling God his father, making himself God the son, which was essentially saying that he was of the same essence of God, the deity of Christ. Of course, that's foundational in Christian theology and in Christian teaching that God Almighty became a man, the great, the great condescension of, of, of God coming into the world, making himself a part of his creation so that he could do what he had planned to do from before the foundation of the world. Christ, of course, is headed to the cross and these are his enemies to whom he makes this reply, this gives to the, gives this discourse. In continuing, same thing, we're just continuing what Christ had begun saying already. So continuing in verse 30, I'm not able to do anything of myself. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just or righteous. The word dekaya, righteous, just. Because I seek not my will, but the will of the one having sent me. Ours is a Trinitarian belief that the great God Almighty has been revealed to us in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Perhaps this is the greatest teaching, well, one of the greatest teachings about the Trinity of the Godhead. Already Christ has said that he was the Son of God, the same essence as God. Here, notice what he says. I am not able to do anything of myself. He does not, he cannot, he will not act apart from the will of the Father. This is perhaps one of the greatest statements in the New Testament attesting to the sinlessness of Christ. Christ never sinned. Thus he was the perfect sacrifice for his own when he went to the cross. I am not able to do anything of myself. 
Of course, it would have never been the will of God, the Father, for the Son to sin. So this attests to the sinlessness of Jesus of Nazareth. But more than that, what Jesus is saying, everything that I do is because I am one with God. I am God the Son, and I, I am here to perfectly execute the will of God the Father. Anything else I can't do. I am not able to do anything of myself. Next thing he says is this. As I hear, I judge. That's in the perfect active, which means that it just goes on and on. This is always the way Jesus of Nazareth is. As he hears, he does, and it's always, it's in the present. He's always doing this in his life. And the word judge could be, uh, could be uh, translated, I decide, or I make a decision. As I move along in these three years of ministry, I will, as God the Son, divinely discern what I need to do. So everything that Christ does is to reveal who he is and to speak to our need for him as our savior. So his, his credentials are clear. He is God in the flesh. As he, you know, somebody can say, well, what, what caused you to heal just that one guy at the pool? Present active. As I hear, I decide. As I receive the will of the Father, I will execute the will of the Father. So he doesn't make any mistakes. He's not randomly performing miracles. He doesn't just say stuff. Whatever proceeds from him is of the will of the Father, and whatever proceeds from his mouth is the word of truth that comes directly from heaven, from God the Father. My judgment is righteous. My decisions are correct. Well, of course, no one could dare to move to try to correct God the Father. Because I seek not my will, but the will of the one having sent me. Everything that Christ executes, everything that he does is of the will of the Father. So here's the great teaching of the Gospels and of the New Testament. The will of the Father is executed through God the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. How is, how is Christ then empowered to do these things? By the power of the Holy Spirit. If I bear witness concerning myself, my testimony is not true. Now the law requires two or three witnesses. This is a preparatory statement leading up to the witnesses that bear witness to Christ, which should be in agreement with what these leaders of, of Judaism were teaching and believing. And so they show themselves here to be hypocrites. What Christ is saying, you don't have to let me stand alone in this testimony because there are other witnesses. Number one, 
There is another bearing witness of me concerning me, and I know that the testimony, and maybe I should have capitalized the word another. It is another, and understood in the word is another one, and I could have capitalized the word one, but it is another one bearing witness concerning me, and I know that the testimony which he bears witness concerning me is true. It is, of course, God the Father. Now, I know that the Bible says, you know, um, this is my beloved son. He said that it is baptism. He said it on the Mount of Transfiguration. But these guys to whom he's speaking weren't there. So he doesn't have to expect that they heard what God from heaven thundered out regarding the beloved son. Doesn't matter. Because he bears witness to who Jesus of Nazareth is in many other ways. So the father bears witness to the son in these ways. So number one, the father is the witness, but how else is the father the witness here? You have sent unto John. Now, if you look at the other gospel accounts and you put them all together, you will see that early in John's ministry, the leaders of Judaism were not that offended by John. Matter of fact, they even, they even, in some cases, encouraged people to go and hear John. They also agreed that he was a prophet. Luke chapter 1, before John the Baptist was born, and John the Baptist's parents were prepared by Gabriel and and, and then he's, he's called, John is called before he was born, he's called a prophet. Zacharias, his father, proclaimed that he would be a prophet. And all of this was by divine inspiration. So, so John was unique and special. We've talked enough about John. But Christ says, you remember the time when you were encouraging people to listen to John? You even agreed that John was a prophet. You remember all of that? When Christ says this to these guys, John the Baptist had been telling his disciples that they needed to go and follow Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. So the revelation of the identity of the Lamb of God was the end of John's work. Leading up to that, he would prepare the hearts of the people and get them to agree that they were about to be in the presence of the Messiah and that they had a lot of cleaning up to do in their lives and in their culture and their society. But then when he is identified and revealed and John proclaims that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when he does that, his job is over. Jesus says, now if you agreed with John... He testifies and his testimony is truth. He has borne witness to truth. Now the Jewish leaders would have to agree that the only truth that exists as Christians do. We believe the only absolute truth that there is is in the Holy Word of God. Now they didn't have the New Testament. And they may have argued over some of the other books, but they never argued over the law of Moses. He has borne witness to the truth. Now the truth is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John 
growing in his knowledge of Jesus after his ministry is fulfilled grows in his knowledge of the deity of Christ. So this is all truth and it comes from John. So the father who is the witness to the son is witness first of all by him through himself but then through John because John has the truth that means that the father is speaking in a sense through John the Baptist regarding the Christ of God Jesus of Nazareth now I receive not the testimony from man but I say these things that you may be saved here's what Christ says Number one, I don't need the testimony of man. And another part of the scripture, Jesus would say, if I wanted them to, the rocks would cry out. I don't need the testimony from man, but you do. So let others speak in my behalf, others that you have agreed to regarding truth. So the next witness and the first witness from the father in this sense as Jesus presents it in this discourse, is John the Baptist. I'm telling you to listen to these witnesses, Jesus says, so that you can be saved. More than just one witness, so that you can be saved. He was the lamp burning and shining. Now you were willing to rejoice in his light for a season. In John chapter 1, in, in introducing John the Baptist, John says that he was not the light, but he was a reflection of the light. So then Jesus says his preaching was truth. Nobody shot at me, did they? It should go on record that I return fire, so just be, just be careful. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, <laughs> when one attests to the deity of Christ, personified in Jesus of Nazareth, one is shining light in darkness. Now, Christ is the light. We just are reflectors of the light, but it dispels the darkness. Now, as long as it benefited them, these religious leaders were willing to rejoice in his light, that is John the Baptist's light, for a season. But truth in the end reveals true believers or unbelievers. Those who are for real or those who are hypocrites. They're counterfeit. And so here at this point, Jesus continues something that he had begun. You have to put this with other, with other, with the synoptic gospels. And he continues to reveal the fact that they were Hypocrites, they were liars. Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, and he's a liar. However, I have the testimony greater than that of John. Now, here's the, 
the father's the testament the father testifies and then the next witness that the first one coming from the father that Jesus presents here is John the Baptist but the second one are his miracles we've seen some of them already in the gospel of John I have the testimony greater than that of John for the works that the father has given me that I should complete them the same works which I do bear witness concerning me that the father has sent me now look at this Teleoso, that, uh, uh, well, the, that I should complete. Here's what that means. That means that Jesus of Nazareth, in the will of the Father, empowered by the Spirit, executed the will of the Father, and gave testimony to his deity and who he is, by the works that he would accomplish and they were completed. So when you get to the end of the gospels, Jesus performs a final miracle and according to the will of the father and by what Jesus says here, there would be no other miracle for him to perform to completely attest to his deity. Now, that he should complete them, of course, would include the miracle of his resurrection, his power to be raised, to raise himself, to be raised from the dead. So everything, okay, go back to John chapter 20. You know, I'm writing these things so that you'll be a believer, that you'll believe that he's the son of God and, and that believing you'll have life in his name. John presents the evidence exactly as the Holy Spirit directs him. Now, he also says in John chapter 21 at the end of his book that there's so many things he did that just, just not enough people, not enough paper, not enough stuff to record it and keep it. But we have recorded to us a portion in the four gospels, a portion of what Jesus did himself. Now he of course would work through his apostles, but what Jesus did himself to confirm his identity as God the Son. And he would complete those works. And Jesus says, they bear witness concerning me that the Father has sent me. So the Father is a witness. John the Baptist is a witness because the Father further testifies through John the Baptist via the truth that John preaches. And then thirdly, the works, the miracles, the works that God the Son performs. These are all bearing testimony to the deity of Christ. Now, in Matthew's gospel, the great divide comes when at last the enemies of Jesus will have to give some kind of reason for the power that Jesus has demonstrated in his miracles. And I told you last time that by this time, we're, we're well into the second, perhaps in the early part of the third year of the ministry of Jesus. So he's already been at odds with these people and he's already done many things. He's performed many miracles, not the least of which would, would be miracles over nature, uh, his power to raise the dead uh, back into life and, and his power uh, to heal the sick and his power over demons and 
to change the water in, into wine. That, of course, was in John. That would be his power over nature. So he's, he's, he's demonstrated all these things, and there were so many of them, just one after another, so many, most of them are not even recorded according to John. We're given those through the pens of the apostles, through the gospel writers, because God knows that this is enough evidence for you and me. And when God opens our heart concerning the scriptures, and they're meaningless unless the Holy Spirit, unless we're, re, unless we're born anew from above. If we're not a born again Christian, word of God doesn't really speak to us. It's just a bunch of words and we read it like we would read a magazine or something. But because we live spiritually, the scriptures live as well and they bear witness to it. And it's God talking to us. We can feel it. We know that this is the word of God. And so all of these things bear witness. You take all of these things into account, all of the completed works of Christ as they are recorded in the scriptures, and they bear the complete witness that is necessary evidence for you and me to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. All right. So this third witness that's listed here would be the works of that the father had performed through his son all the way to the completion. And they bear witness about who Jesus of Nazareth is. And the one having sent me, the father himself has borne witness concerning me. That goes back to the first one that we looked at. But here he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Here's why. Neither have you heard his voice at any time nor have you seen his form. So this would, be, this would be the inner voice of the Holy Spirit. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe whom he sent. Now this, this last sentence... is the foundational problem of the human race. Unless and until God places his word into the heart of an unbeliever, that person cannot believe, can't believe, can't believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Namely, you do not have his word, you do not believe whom he sent. Now keep that in mind as we move on into the next verse. You diligently search the scriptures. Here is the, the sixth witness. The scriptures that they had, which is Christ is going to reference the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. You diligently search the scriptures for you think to have eternal life in them. And these are they bearing witness concerning me. And you, now this goes back to what I said in the last slide. And you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Do you know why they're unwilling to come to Christ? Because they're unable 
Now this ties in with the law of Moses. They believed that they were perfectly in obedience to the law of Moses. And therefore, by their works, they had found for themselves and made for themselves eternal life. So they thought they had eternal life in just reading the scriptures apart from seeing the Savior and his salvation in them. It's impossible. So Jesus says, here's your problem. You don't have the will to come to me that you may have life because you are unable to have that will. Back to John chapter three, what he said to Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, you have to be born anew from above. This is not something that you can conjure up for yourself. This is not something that you can do in and of yourself. God does this for you. So they stood where everybody else does in the world unless and until by grace, God calls the dead to life spiritually and brings us out of our prison and sets us free and takes us from the domain of darkness where we live and places us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his dear son. We won't ever be willing to do that unless and until God calls us to it and unless and until God enables us to do it. And this is what Jesus is saying. Your works you're, you, you thinking that you're obedient to the law of Moses, the scriptures you have, you think that's where life is. Life is not there. We learn in the scriptures that the law just teaches us our need for Jesus. And if we don't see it that way, if we see it otherwise as a way to which we can be perfectly obedient to God's law, thus we demand salvation and God must be bound to save us unless and until we escape that and come to realize that it just crushes us. The law just decimates us. The law just, just makes us otherwise dead in trespass and sin unless God himself will raise us up from that spiritual death. So this is what Christ is saying. Your great problem is you think it's all about you, but it's not. It's all about me. I do not take glory from men, but I have known you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in the name of my father and you do not receive me. If another should come in his own name, him you will receive. How are you able to believe receiving glory from one another and you do not seek the glory of the only God? When a person, when a person depends on his own behavior to save him, when he believes that he has a part in that salvation himself, then he seeks his own glory. Christ says, I don't take glory from men like you guys do. As a matter of fact, nobody among those people wanted to give him any glory anyway at that point. I know you. You don't have the love of God in your lives, within yourselves. 
But the time comes, and I believe, and, and quite a few others who write on the subject believe that the reference to the one who comes in his own name is the Antichrist. He doesn't come with the credentials that Jesus of Nazareth come, but there comes a time when briefly in the time of the tribulation, they will receive this Antichrist until he sets himself up to be God and he puts himself in the temple, the Holy of Holies, which they are permitted to rebuild at that point in time. And then in the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, salvation comes to the Jew. And Israel is saved. How are you able to believe receiving glory from one another? You can't believe if in any whit you trust yourself, your actions, your behavior. I'll be saved maybe next month. I got to clean myself up first. I'm just... I just, I'm just not, I just, I got to do better before I get saved. That'll never happen. That will never happen. You cannot add to what Christ did on the cross. You just take it and accept it. Take Jesus as your savior. Come to him as the old song says, just as you are. There's no other you except the one who you are. And he makes something new out of it. How are you able to believe if you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory of the only God? When we get to heaven some, in, some infinitely glorious day, when the elect of God stand in an unbroken assembly before our great creator and savior, among the myriads and crowds who will be there, there will not be one who can in any way congratulate himself for being there. Not in the slightest way. Somebody could say, well, I had a Sunday school teacher. I had a mom and daddy to me. I had this. Only by the grace of God were those things worked out in your life. By the direction of God Almighty. So when the time comes at last, we will seek only the glory of God. What could we say about ourselves that could more greatly glorify the moment? There's nothing. It will all be to the glory of God. And all of us standing there in that massive, great assembly at the end of all days will be there only to the glory of God. There won't be any of this, oh, I did this, or I did, oh, there's so-and-so for one of him, I had a guy, I would never got saved. And all that kind of stuff. There won't be that, no. It will be the great, eternal, shining God on the throne, the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world by his power and to his glory. We're saved and there's no other way that we're saved. That's all. So we will only seek the glory of God. Now, those who try to outdo one another are seeking glory from each other. And they're not seeking the glory of God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. You know, he's not the accuser. There is an accuser. Boy, he accuses me. He'll accuse, he accuses you. There is one accusing you, in this case, Moses. 
those five books that start out the Bible, in whom you have hoped. I had a good friend. He was a good friend of mine when I was in the clothing business with my, with my daddy. He owned a particular men's suit company. We, we, in those days, we were north of Birmingham. We were the only big and tall uh, store that had a, a large big and tall department. And so we bought these suits from him. He sold us suits through 72. We could order suits through 76. Man. So if you wear a 44 regular 40, it doesn't matter. You would be wearing a tent to put this. We had a guy used to come over from our own Georgia. He had a 74 waist. He had to have his yeah, he drove a Malibu. He had to have it special made <laughs> so he could get his belly in the car. And the pedals were up closer. Well, who cares? Anyway, this guy was big. I just used to marvel at his car. Let me go sit in your car. Go ahead. I don't care. Huh? And he would, we would sell him this stuff. Now, here's, here's the deal. This man who owned the suit company, and he was a multimillionaire, but he, 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 picked up, he picked out certain places he wanted to come and write up the, our futures for us. And he was a Jewish man. Lost as a ball in highways. There's no way. This guy, he, he began to, he and I would talk about his religion, and we'd talk about Christianity. And he would laugh, thinking it was funny how he would curse Christianity and all this kind of thing. But I would listen to him describe. He said, in a serious moment, he said, look, he said, I'm not an Orthodox Jew. I'm not even a tradition. I'm just a Jew. That's how he called himself. And he said, let me tell you how our people believe. The law of Moses says that Abraham... was given righteousness and that this righteousness and that through him this righteousness would reach into all of the families. So I'm here not worried about heaven or hell not because of anything other than the fact that I know that somewhere back there some way Abraham received this promise of God and I am of the seed of Abraham therefore I'm not worried. That was his belief. Now if you think about that there's one accusing you, Moses, in whom you have hoped. If you were believing Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote concerning me. When you read the Old Testament, you are reading the story of God the Son. How everything, <clears throat> how everything was created. And then in that creation, how everything has been prepared in time and space. And finally, among the peoples of the world, into a particular people, into a particular nation, into a particular tribe, into a particular man whose son someday would be our savior. That's the story of the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. If you had believed Moses... If you had any life in you at all, 
you would know that Rose, Moses wrote about me. But you don't believe it. How will you believe my words if you can't grasp the words of Moses? Well, it's impossible. There is only one way to be brought from unbelief to belief. From outside of faith into faith. From spiritually dead to born again, there's only one way, and that's the grace of God. For which we worship Him, and that He saw fit to call us into Christ on a particular time. That He might perform in time what He had determined in eternity. These guys didn't get it. And unless and until God awakens them to it, they never would get it. I would never have gotten it. I can see that now. It takes, it takes divine power to move someone from spiritual death to spiritual life. There's nothing in me that could cause myself to be born anew again. Nothing. In all that I may or may not have ever done, I'll tell you that in and of myself, I have never impressed God. Never. Only that Christ then has worked through me. Thank God for it. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper.